Good morning again. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Greek mythology. I don't believe in Greek mythology, but I think every once in a while there are good illustrations for us in things like Greek mythology. One, I think, is a woman named Cassandra. She was the daughter of the king of Troy. And Cassandra received an incredible gift. She received the gift of prophecy. Cassandra could look out into the future and she could see anything as clear as day. She could see the good things that were about to happen. She could see the tragedies that were about to happen. And that would be an awesome gift, right? If you could see the things that were about to happen, the bad things to your friends, you could warn them. You could say, don't go there. Avoid that thing, okay? Something bad is going to happen if you do. But the problem was that Cassandra received a corresponding curse. She received the curse that even though she would always know what was about to happen, that no one would ever believe her. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? If you knew exactly what was going to happen and you could tell people, you could plead with them, you could use all of the reasoning that you have to persuade them that the thing that you know is going to happen is about to happen, And they would just think that you're a crazy person. No one would ever believe you. One famous uh, account of this is in uh, the the Trojan horse account, which I think many of us are familiar with. In the story of the Trojan horse, it goes that Cassandra knew what was going to happen. And that she went to the leadership of Troy and tried persuading them, do not bring that wooden horse into our city. I know exactly what's going to happen if you do. And of course, they didn't believe her. They didn't listen. They brought the horse into the city and most of the city was killed. Now, it's not just, I think, in Greek mythology that we see examples of people bringing warnings and those warnings not being listened to. It happens all of the time, even in our present day. If any of you are familiar with the space shuttle Challenger, in 1986, the space shuttle Challenger exploded soon after its launch. And it was being watched, it was televised. Many people were watching it. I wasn't alive in 1986. Any of you who were, maybe you remember the explosion of Challenger. But that was a tragedy that was avoidable. Multiple engineers who NASA had hired to work on the space shuttle warned NASA the morning of the launch. They said, it's too cold outside. If you tried to do the launch right now, the O-ring seals that keep the fuel from leaking might give out. And if those give out, the whole thing is going up in flames. And so they called the higher ups. They went to their managers. They tried to do everything they could to delay the launch. They said, just wait, wait until it's warmer. Wait, wait until maybe there's a better day. We don't want to chance it. Of course, nobody listened to those engineers and Challenger launched and it was too cold and exactly what they said would happen happened, and the space shuttle exploded, killing all seven crew members. It was an avoidable tragedy. If only the warning had been heeded. I think there's a lot of reasons that warnings aren't listened to. Sometimes it's money that gets in the way, or pride. I'm not going to talk about every reason this morning, but I think two of the big reasons that people don't listen to warnings is one, that they don't listen they just simply won't hear it. They won't answer that call. They'll say, I, don't, I just don't want to listen to you. But then second, 
if the warning is heard, often the warning is not believed. That was Cassandra's dilemma, that she could bring the warning, but she would never be believed. And considering that, I just want us to think for a moment. We confess that we believe in a God who knows all things. A God who knows the past, the present, and the future. A God who is controlling and in power over all of the events that are going on in the world. And when this God gives us a dire warning, do we listen? Do we believe? It feels often that when God gives a warning, it's met with deaf ears. It's met with disbelief. We have a tendency to not listen. We have a tendency to not believe. The passage that we're in this morning in Hebrews 3 is the second major warning of the book of Hebrews. It's a warning against apostasy. A warning about falling away, walking away from the faith. It really tells us a lot about apostasy prevention. And we're called to listen and we're called to believe. So listen this morning to God's word and believe. Let's stand together. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Please listen this morning to the reading of God's word and believe. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are told that you speak to us. You speak to us in your word. And this morning, as we hear your voice, may we not have hardened hearts. Open up our hearts, open up our eyes and our ears, that we would listen to the warnings that you give us, that we would take those warnings seriously, that we would turn away from our sin, that we would look to you and believe. Make the reading and the preaching of your word fruitful this morning in your church, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I think that we all know that people walking away from the faith, from the church, is a real thing. It's a very challenging reality for us to have to deal with. We know people that have walked away from the faith, and many of us at various times have felt the personal temptation to walk away. And this reality is one of the primary reasons that the book of Hebrews was even written. It was written as a warning against people falling away. It was written to persuade people that Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than anything that you could possibly turn to. Why would you walk away from him? So between all of these exhortations about Jesus being better, there are interspersed all of these warnings saying, watch out. This is what happens if you don't pay attention. This is what happens if you turn away from Jesus. And again, this is the second warning in the book of Hebrews. It's a warning against falling away, and it's an encouragement to God's people to persevere in the Christian life. The main point of this text is this. If you're taking notes, I will read it slowly and twice. Persevering in the Christian life takes daily listening and believing. Persevering in the Christian life takes daily listening and believing. So there are two things that you are called to do this morning. You need to listen to the right things, and you need to put your faith in the right things. You need to listen to the right things, and you need to put your faith in the right things. So our first point this morning Since persevering in the Christian life takes daily listening and believing, listen to the right things. Our passage last week in verse 6 ended with an implicit warning. It said, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And then that warning is continued and expanded on in our passage today passage begins, therefore, which links it back to that warning right before it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And I want to just look at this first verse for a moment. There's something very, very interesting going on here. Verses 7 through 11, as you'll notice, it's a quotation. It's a quotation from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And it's not just interesting that it's verses 7 through 11, both in Hebrews 3 and in Psalm 95. I don't think there's anything crazy that I'm going to try to pull out some deep meaning for that or anything like that. That is interesting. But what does the author of Hebrews say in these verses? Specifically, who does the author of Hebrews say is speaking in Psalm 95? Who is the speaker? The Holy Spirit, okay? It's the Holy Spirit says. I want you to flip back just a moment to Hebrews chapter 1. At the number of scripture quotations through that whole chapter, who is the one speaking in the scripture quotations in chapter 1? Anybody? It's God. It's God the Father. First one, you are my son, speaking to Jesus. So this is God the Father who is speaking. Now let's look at chapter 2 really quick. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. 
who is the one speaking in the scripture quotations in those verses? It's Jesus. It's God the Son saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And then here in chapter 3, who is the one speaking in the scripture quotations? It's the Holy Spirit. This is very interesting for a number of reasons. First, this teaches us the Trinity, right? We see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all speaking in the scriptures. It also teaches us about the inspiration of scripture. All of these different Psalms and Old Testament quotations, they all had real human authors. But at the same time, the author of Hebrews could say, when you read this, when you read this from Psalm 95, this is God speaking. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. We know that scripture is inspired and that God speaks to us in his word. But those aren't the only interesting things. There's even more in this verse. It's not just that it tells us that the Holy Spirit is speaking. It also tells us when the Spirit is speaking. Look at the first phrase again. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, the verb says is in the present tense. It's not past tense. It's not saying, therefore, as the Holy Spirit said, back when Psalm 95 was written, the author says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, as the Holy Spirit is speaking now. That's incredible. When we read the scriptures, it's not just impactful for the original author and the original audience, even though we need to be really aware of what's going on with the original author and audience. We believe that God speaks in his word by his spirit now, today. When we are diving into Hebrews 3, the spirit is speaking to the people of God. And that's why we need to listen. We need to pay attention to what God says to us throughout all of his word, because we know that God speaks and he currently still speaks in his word. So what does the spirit say in Psalm 95? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So if it isn't clear enough, For us to hear God, to listen to God, just knowing that the Holy Spirit is speaking in the word. These words should encourage us. They should call us out and say, you need to listen. Today, if you hear his voice. Today, as God speaks, don't harden your hearts. Don't turn a deaf ear to what God has to say to you. The quotation from Psalm 95 It's a reference to the rebellious Israelites in the wilderness after the time of the Exodus and up until they go into the promised land. And the events that are talked about in Psalm 95 are recorded in Exodus 17 and Numbers 14. And I'm not going to dive deeply into those, but if you wanted to write those down, Exodus 17 and Numbers 14, it might be good if you're looking for something to go study today, go spend some time in the Word. Go read those chapters and see what's going on with this wilderness generation. In Exodus 17, Israel was encamped at a place that had no water. So they grumbled to the Lord. They complained to Moses. 
And the Lord ended up providing them water from a rock. You might be familiar with that account. But it's not just that they were grumbling against the Lord and complaining against the Lord in this one instance. From the time that God brought them out of Egypt until the time that they entered the the promised land, the people of God complained constantly. They rebelled. They had a hard heart. They didn't listen. They disobeyed over and over again. And God promised that they would not enter his rest. And so none but just a couple of men from that generation that left Egypt entered the promised land. God's, God's promise and his curse that they would not enter his promised rest became true. For them, it was ultimately an issue of not listening and not believing. I know it's a really cliche statement. Everybody says it all the time. Those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it or some variation of that. But there's something really helpful in that, right? We need to learn from those that have gone before us. And as we read through scripture, we see those people that are our spiritual ancestors. And we not only learn from the good things they do, but also from the overwhelming amount of terrible decisions that they made. And we have to say, we're prone to make those same exact mistakes. And so for to learn from that generation in the wilderness that grumbled against the Lord, that turned a deaf ear to him, then we need to not make that same mistake. We need to listen to God's voice. When we hear God's voice, today, if you hear his voice, don't do what they did. Don't turn your heart against the Lord, but listen. So if we're going to listen to the right things, we need to listen to God. But we also need to listen to one another. And it's not that we're all on the same level of God or that we always say what is right to one another, that we always speak with perfect biblical wisdom. But we are told to listen to one another and to exhort one another. Look at verse 12 with me. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is the strongest warning in this section. He's saying, take care, watch out, listen up. This is very important. Watch out, brothers. Check your heart. Check your heart. Make sure that there is not an evil, unbelieving heart in you that would lead you to fall away. The threat of falling away from God is a very real threat. But he also gives the remedy for that threat in verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need one another in the Christian life. We need to exhort one another in the Christian life. We need that brother or sister who sees us walking down a dangerous path, listening to the wrong voices. We need a brother or sister who will come to us and says, brother, sister, watch out. Don't do that. Don't walk down that path. Don't don't listen to that temptation. You're going in a dangerous direction. Come back. Come back. We all need that. None of us are above that and none of us outgrow that. We need that every single day. As long as it's called today, every day that you wake up and you can say, it is today again. That is a day that you need your brothers and sisters in Christ that can exhort you, that can encourage you, that can warn you against the dangers of falling away. Lexi ran cross country in high school and a lot of her siblings also ran cross country. 
So early, when we, early in our days of being married, married, we'd often drive down to southern Wisconsin to watch the cross-country races of some of her siblings. When we'd do that, we'd go down, and if you've ever been to a cross-country race, it's not quite the same as a track and field race. In track and field, you have this oval lap that people are just kind of running, well, not quite circles, oblong circles around. And you can kind of sit in one place and cheer on those people as they run around this track. In cross-country, the the track that you're running on kind of weaves through the forest and out through a field and down a dirt path and up a hill. And it kind of just makes this big weavy circuit that you run through and you run around. So when you're watching a cross country race, you can't really just sit in one spot. You actually follow the runners around. They right from the starting gun, they, they go off and you run over to the next place where they will loop around and they're going to hit that spot. And then you jog over here where they're going to, hit there, and then you try to make it all the way back to the finish line so you can watch the, the finish as people are sprinting in. And it's really fun to do that. It's fun to, be, to go to a cross-country race and to run around and yell at people and encourage them. What's really fun, though, is in those moments when you have this big group of people all gathered around this one part of the track, and the runners see them coming, and they start running by, and then you have the people saying, Go, Austin! You got this! You're doing great. Keep going. You see, and you see the runners, and what do they do? You see them like straighten up. You know they're exhausted. They're two miles into this race. But you see them kick a little bit harder, especially at the end. You see them maybe kicking into another gear or push through, and you're like, okay, they're hearing their people. They're hearing their family and their friends, their teammates calling out to them, saying, keep going, keep running. This is hard, I know, but go. If you've ever run long distances, it's hard. It really is a hard thing to do. But the Christian life is harder. The Christian life is great. It's full of joys and blessings, but it's also a walk that is hard. We run up hills. We run through a forest. We have that person next to us that tries knocking us over while we're out on the track. It's not easy. And we need one another to come alongside each other to say, no, don't go, don't go down that direction. Don't run that way. Or I know this is hard for you right now and to encourage us in the Lord, to comfort us, help us to persevere. We need one another to exhort us. We cannot run this race alone. So we need to listen. We need to listen to the voice of God. We also need to listen to one another. So I just encourage you, put yourself into relationships with people that know what's going on in your life people that know your struggles, people that know your temptations, people that know your joys and your sufferings. And put those people around you so that they can speak into your life, so that they can encourage you. And please, when they come to you and they say something hard that you need to hear, don't stiff arm them. Don't push your brothers and sisters away because they're not telling you what you want to hear. Know from the outset that you need to hear what they're going to tell you. You need to hear it. It's part of how you persevere in the Christian life. So we need to know who to listen to, God, our brothers and sisters. But we also need to know what not to listen to. And this is very important. Look at verse 13 at the end of it. It Talks about the deceitfulness of sin. I love that phrase, the wording there, the deceitfulness of sin. Sin speaks lies to you. You need to know that. Sin 
lies to you. We have all experienced this. In the moment of temptation, sin looks so much better than anything else. Sin looks more desirable to you in that moment than anything in the world. Right? It lies to you. Sin is sugar-coated poison. Tastes good for a moment, but it's going to kill you. I think a great illustration is poisoned fruit, especially considering Genesis 3, right? It's like this fruit that you pick it up and you look at it. You say, this looks so desirable. You smell it. Smells good, right? The the flesh is nice and firm. This isn't a rotten apple, at least not from what you can tell. You take a bite into it and it tastes so good, so sweet, so juicy. But then the sweetness turns to bitterness, The juiciness becomes dry. What tasted really good initially in your mouth rots in your stomach. It sits in there. It makes you sick. It kills you and rots you from the inside out. Don't listen to sin and its lies. Don't think that it's going to satisfy you. It will deceive you. And that's exactly why we need our brothers and sisters to say, watch out, stay away. That thing looks good to you right now. Don't go near it. It's going to kill you. Persevering in the Christian life, it takes daily listening to God, daily walking alongside one another, exhorting one another and listening. And it takes a daily awareness of the other voices that speak to us and having a realistic understanding that those things are not speaking truth. That We need to not listen to those voices. So we need to listen to the right things. But then secondly, we need to put our faith in the right things. We need to put our faith in the right things. As a Reformed church, Livingstone Church, we're a Reformed church, we're a Presbyterian church, which means that we are a part of the branch of the Protestant Reformation that is known as the Reformed Church. And one of the things that we believe as a Reformed Church and confess is the perseverance of the saints. We believe that those who are truly called by God, elect by God, saved by God, accepted by him, that those people will never fully or finally fall away. We believe that they will never fully or finally fall away. And we believe this for a few different reasons. First, we believe in the perseverance of the saints because we believe that our salvation from very, the very beginning all the way to the very end relies upon God and his grace. And when I say beginning, I'm not talking about the day that you converted. I'm talking about before the foundations of the world beginning, all the way until Christ returns and we are made new in his image for all eternity. From eternity past to eternity future, your salvation is in God's hands. He is the one who saves. Our confidence is in the choosing work of the Father in the redeeming work of the Son, in the calling and sanctifying and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Our confidence is from John 10, 28, that Jesus is a good shepherd and he will never lose any of his sheep. No one can snatch them out of his hand. Our hope is in Romans 8, 39, that nothing, and I love this, that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess Philippians 1.6, 
that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But if we believe that, then what are we to do with all of these warnings? What are we to do with these warnings in Hebrews that say, you can fall away. You can walk away. Don't listen to those voices. They're going to draw you away. I think it's vital for us to see that those things are not in contradiction. The reality of apostasy, of falling away, and God's ability to preserve his people are not in contradiction. Look at verse 14. I think this is very important. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And this sounds a lot like verse 6 from last week. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. What's going on here is that you prove yourself to be in Christ by your perseverance. And it helps us to understand what happens if someone eventually does walk away. If someone eventually does not listen to God, falls away in unbelief. They have proved that they don't actually share in Christ. Because they did not hold fast their confidence firm to the end. One of the qualities, if you're to kind of flip this phrase around to understand its logic, it's a quality of those who are in Christ that they will hold their confidence to the end. And that if you don't hold your confidence to the end, that you never actually came to share in Christ and you were never truly a part of his house. So even as this is a warning, it's also the basis for our confidence. It says, in the end, you might prove that you don't share in Christ. And if you do share in Christ, you will be one of those who persevere to the end. So the warning and the truth of God's perseverance actually go hand in hand in verse 14. They don't contradict one another. The mistake that we often make when we think about perseverance of the saints is that we think it means that all who profess to have faith in Christ will surely remain to the end and none will fall away. There's a very important distinction for us to make. We need to see that people can outwardly profess faith in Christ without having the inward reality of faith in Christ. And so we will see people that from every every vantage point, everything that we can see, they outwardly profess faith. And yet we see them turn away and that's so hard to deal with. We say, how could this person walk away? Well, it's because they never shared in Christ. And as hard as that is to work through, we need to be able to distinguish between professing faith and actually inwardly having the reality of faith. A few weeks ago, I got together with uh, John Holty and Rudy and Logan Walters. Uh, we wanted to play some board games together. And I'm terrible at board games. I don't know if any of you are good. I love playing them. I never win. We played a game called Saboteur. And the basic premise of this game is that you are all dwarves and you are trying to dig tunnels to find the gold. But one of you is a saboteur. And none of the dwarves other than the saboteur know who the saboteur is. And his goal is to keep the rest of the dwarves from getting to the treasure, from getting to the gold. And he, yeah, he wins if they don't reach it. And so it's an interesting game because the whole time you're playing, if you're a dwarf, you don't know who to trust. Because if you trust the saboteur, 
Or if you think that one of the other dwarves is the saboteur when they're not, if you misplace your trust, you're probably not going to win. And that's really important for us. We need to think about, am I trusting in the right place? Am I putting my trust in the right person? And in that game, more often than not, I was terrible at that and always ended up losing. But in the Christian life, we need to make sure that we have our trust and faith in the right person and in the right place. We want to make sure that it doesn't come to the end and it's proved that all along our faith was actually in things other than God. That we were actually trusting in the wrong things all along. So the author here teaches us about where, we are suppo- where we're supposed to place our trust, but also where we're not supposed to place our trust. The author asks a series of questions in verses 16 through 18. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And then he gives the summary statement in verse 19, kind of the lesson from all this. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Belief is the heart of the issue. It's the underlying problem for all of it. They weren't able to enter because of unbelief. Verse 16 shows us who rebelled. It was those who left Egypt led by Moses. And then verses 17 through 19 show us what happened, what the issues were, and then what the severity of the punishment toward, toward them was. That they sinned, they, they were disobedient, they rebelled against God, they didn't believe, and that because of that, they were unable to enter God's rest. And I think verses 17 through 19 are pretty straightforward. Sin, disobedience, unbelief are punished by God. But we also have to ask, why does the author... Why does he make it such a point to emphasize in verse 16 who these rebels were? Why is it such an important point that they were those who left Egypt led by Moses? To understand this, we need to remember that the author of Hebrews was writing to a Hebrew Christian audience. He's writing to people that would have a strong connection with Israel and Israel's history. And the author is reminding them, who is it that ultimately turned away? Who is it that rebelled? Who is it that disbelieved? It was Israel. It was those same people that were brought up out of Egypt. Those same people who were there when the law was given at Sinai. Those people who witnessed all these things were a part of the visible people of God. It was those people that rebelled. They're the ones who didn't believe. Just because you were outwardly a part of Israel never guaranteed that you were immune from disbelief. Because almost all of the generation brought out of Egypt died in the wilderness because of disbelief. And we we need to know also that just being a member of a church does not guarantee that you have faith. Being a member of Livingstone Church does not guarantee that you are saved. So don't put your faith in your church membership. Now, of course, we just had a membership class Two nights ago at our house, we believe that church membership is so important, that it's vital, that church is where our faith is is grown, it's where it's built up, it's where it's strengthened. It's one of the means 
for us to persevere to the end as we come and we hear God's word preached, as we pray together and worship together and take the Lord's Supper together, that those are the things that God uses to strengthen our faith. But even still, just coming here and doing those things does not guarantee that you are truly inwardly a Christian. This has always been the case in God's people, and it will be the case all the way until Jesus returns. There are going to be wheat and tares. There are going to be sheep and goats in the people of God until Jesus comes. So I just want you to know, if you've been a church member for two days, or you've been a church member for 20 years, don't put your faith in that. Put your faith in God. And secondly, don't put your faith in great experiences. Don't put your faith in great experiences. This is the other reason that the author brings up this wilderness generation and makes it clear who they are. As I mentioned, these people that fell away, these are the people who witnessed the plagues in Egypt. They were there for the Passover. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land. They were at Mount Sinai. They witnessed 40 years of God providing for their needs and they fell away. They disobeyed and they disbelieved. Numbers 14, talking about this wilderness generation, God says, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? How long will they not believe in me despite all of the signs that I have done among them? When I was in high school, I struggled really strongly with assurance of my salvation. I doubted that I was a Christian. There were nights that I would stay up late praying the Lord's Prayer or the the sinner's prayer over and over again, trying to make sure this time I really had true faith. This time it's going to stick. This time I know I'm going to be saved. And I kept running to all these different things that I think that I thought would, would comfort my soul and my heart and would give me confidence. And one of those things was spiritual experiences. I would go to youth group retreats and conferences and I'd go to camps and I'd have this great emotional, spiritual experience. And then I'd come home and I'd try to ride that spiritual high for as long as I could because I knew as long as I kept that spiritual high going, I could convince myself that I was saved. And when I doubted, I would look back on that experience and I'd say, I know I'm a Christian because I had this great experience. My faith was in the great experience itself. The problem was that spiritual high didn't last. It would go as fast as it came. And I'm not saying that spiritual experiences are bad things. I'm not saying emotions and all those other things are always bad things. But I'm saying don't put your trust in them. People saw the resurrected Jesus and still disbelieved. People walked through the Red Sea on dry land and didn't believe. You can see great things, incredible and miraculous things, and not believe in God. Don't think that that's going to fix the issue for you if your faith is not in the right place. We find our assurance in God and in God alone. Our faith cannot be in our church membership. Our faith cannot be in our great spiritual experiences. Our faith must be in God. And the warning in verse 12 is a warning that we need to take super seriously. No matter how long you've been a member of the church, no matter how many conferences you've been to or spiritual experiences you can rack up, listen to this warning. Take care, brothers. 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice it's not believing hearts that need to be warned. It's not believing hearts that are in danger of falling away. It's unbelieving hearts. But at the same time, he's writing to the church. He calls these people brothers in the same way. I'd call you brothers and sisters. And he says, check your hearts. Really do a spiritual inventory. Check what's going on inside of you. Make sure that all along there's not just been an evil, unbelieving heart in you. That there's not just outward things going on, but that there's the inward reality that then is manifested in obedience to God, manifested in wanting to hear his word. We all need to do this. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 15 years or 40 years. This warning is for you. Take this warning seriously. Check your hearts. And if you aren't trusting in God, then believe. If you're not trusting in God, then believe and believe in him. There's not a more sure place. There's not a more steady and firm foundation for us to place our trust in than God and God himself. Our confidence, our confidence is in Christ. It's not in our ability to persevere to the end. It's not in anything that we can do. It's not in our church membership or our experiences. Our confidence is in Christ and in his power to save. Our confidence is in his perfection, his death in our place so that we would not die in the wilderness as rebels. Our confidence is in his resurrection and his reign. And we hold fast to him. We hold fast to our confidence, knowing that he holds fast to us and he will keep his own to the end. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes. Help us to look at our own lives, to look at our own hearts, and discern if we really believe. And God, help us all to heed this warning, to not turn deaf ears, to not disbelieve the things that you say, because we know that you know all things. You see all things. Your warnings are real. And help us, God, give us a believing heart. Give us hearts that don't trust in ourselves, that don't trust in the world around us, but hearts that receive Christ, that rest upon him alone for our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.